Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by Afonso Salema, Chief Executive Officer at Start Campus. Good afternoon, Afonso. Good afternoon, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming on today. You know, really looking forward to learning more about yourself and also Start Campus. Obviously, it's a it's a big campus in the European region. A lot of people are talking about it. So great to have the opportunity to go into a bit more detail with you on the project. Before we start, you just want to give a quick introduction of who you are and what your role is at Start Campus. Of course. So uh, for Salem, as you said, I'm CEO of Start Campus. I've been working on this project since late 2019. Um, prior to that, I've been mostly focused on infrastructure uh, investments across the globe, uh, uh, actually. And I always like to start at the beginning of your career because I think it's a, it's a good place to start and helps people understand how you got to where you are today. But how did you first start your career? You touched on it briefly there that you've been in the kind of the infrastructure investment space. And, and when did you first move into data centers? So that's actually a good question. So I've been I've been doing I've been working on the infrastructure space almost twenty years. Um, I started uh, on the real estate sector, very small stint, but it was actually one of the best learning experience I had, given that uh, I worked on the boom and bust of the of the real estate cycle, both in Spain and France. Um, and when that happened, uh, I was on the investment banking side. So you need, you need to clear it, your head on how you measure risk, how you measure return, how, how do you savage, um, uh, a falling knife? Um, and it was eye opening, eye opening. Since then, I started covering, um, broader infrastructure sector with special focus on the power side. So I've covered all on, on the power value chain, I've covered uh, all type of, of complex infrastructure that you can think of from uh, undeveloped uh, hydro plants in Uganda to uh, wind farms in China and Chile to uh, coal fire power plants in the UK. So the entire spectrum um uh, and networks uh i've been doing it um for quite some time and i came to the data center industry first of all because i'm passionate about infrastructure um as it's the pulse of what makes uh the world go round despite not being the forefront uh too often and and the digital infrastructure is is actually booming and it still has a long way to go until it's actually fit for purpose and um, and my move was was very simple. Uh, I during my last years um, uh, as uh, in, in the investment banking uh, side, one of there was one thing that was bothering me, which is you have two secular trends happening right now. Uh, and even with the the Russian uh, with the Russian invasion through Ukraine, those haven't changed. You may have a hiatus, but those haven't changed. Which are the first one is you have coal and nuclear power plants, which will be the commission all across Europe. That will happen. Uh, even with a war, it can delay a little bit, but it will happen. 
Um, and on its wake, it will leave close to 600 sites orphaned. Sites which have good infrastructure, have good power access, have good fiber optics, have uh, a lot of interesting tech, uh, tech, uh, technical solutions. And if you remove the polluting bit, what you're left with, we're left with billions of dollars of investment, which is going to scrap, which doesn't make any sense. So that's the first trend. The, the second trend is actually the, on the data center space. The digital infrastructure, um, it's still not fit for purpose, especially in Europe. And you, Europe is lagging behind uh, markets such as US and Asia. Um, and, there's, and there's a need for a big push. And my our core belief is that that push needs to be in the industrialization of data. You can, no, you can no longer be serious about sustainability and optimizing TCO uh, if you're just doing small deployments. That's just unrealistic. So with those two in mind, for me, it was quite obvious what my next move, where my next move should be. And um, after several conversations with with uh, several investors across uh, across Europe, um, the thesis became very clear, and and here we are. See, and here we are today, at Start Campus, and that obviously brings us on nicely to discuss the campus and, and Sinus Four Point Zero as well. But I listened to a video recently, when well, I watched a video recently, um, where you talk about Sinus in Northern Virginia and Ashburn in particular, and I found it a really interesting story. And you know, and I'll share the link to the to the video when I when I release this. But do you just want to give a brief sort of snapshot of that theory that you were discussing about how what you're doing now is is similar to the early days of Ashburn? Of course, and and I think that speech will get used and used uh, uh, more often. So. When Ashburn came about, and I actually met some of the people who built the first data center in Ashburn, we thought, wow, this could be a good place to build a data center. Um, the, the main reason why people moved there, it was it because it was cheaper to run the data center there. That was the main reason. It's, it's close to Washington, but it's still far away. It's, it was nowhere. It was in the big metro area, not by, not by far. Uh, but it, it was cheap to, to run a data center there. It had access to water, access to power, plenty of space to, uh, to develop. Uh, for people who, who don't know and are uh, listening to us, it started out from a small rural uh, town of 5,000, and it's now reaching 60,000 inhabitants. So... So that adagio that we hear, you, you, you listen to that even more in Europe than in the US, where uh, data centers need to be very close where the eyeballs are. It's not necessarily, um, it, it shouldn't be perceived as a dogma because you have Ashburn, you have the Nordics, how they've developed. You even have Ireland, how Ireland developed as a data center hub. And none of them were uh, due to being too close where the metro areas were. And that's why I like the Ashford example so much, because um, it showcases that we cannot mix the end users of data centers in the sense that workloads are not all the same. So, yes, it is true that some workloads, you really need to be close 
close to to where the eyeballs are but some some others you don't and then you should optimize where the resource use is more, most efficient yeah definitely and i think most people don't really understand why data centers are centralized in ashburn for example they just think well they're, they're just there you know that's that's where they go and and until you actually look at the reasons behind it and like you know you talked about the power scalability connectivity etc there's a reason why they are there are these major data center hubs exactly exactly and if you look and you, you take the history so go let's go back to 1990s and the 1990s it's where the US was deploying huge chunks of cable across the country. And Ashburn just sitted really nicely at the intersection of where the most of the cable uh, backbone was. That's not dissimilar to what's happening in Cinege. Um, and I know you had this question, so perhaps I <laughs> just jump right to it. Um, when, when you look at Cinege, what's going on? Cines has always been um, uh, geographically fav uh, favorite site. And you look back into the 1850s, Portugal, it was Portugal, London, um, London uh, and New York, which did the Atlantic Triangle. Everyone else would connect to, to these points to, to interconnect the, the telegraph in the, in the globe. That, that role has been lost uh, roughly since the 1990s. Um, but the geographic position hasn't, it's still there. Uh, you have Elalink, who's, who, who just came to Synod. You have Equiana into Africa, which are coming close by as well. Um, you have further cable developments, which are concentrating their efforts also um, uh, in Portugal. And all these cables will be interconnected uh, through, uh, through several loops that the operators are already doing. So it becomes a really nice uh, a nice hub and that the threshold connectivity to Madrid and to Bilbao is is being developed as well so it, it actually can become one of the most connected uh, locations in the Atlantic with a value add that you can serve uh, north um, you can serve north of Africa uh, very very easily from there you can serve uh, most of South Europe and you can serve uh, Latin so um, on the connectivity point of view, it has a tremendous potential. And that's just on connectivity. Now, if we go back to the fundamentals of Ashburn, where TCO was king uh, on making that decision, Sinus offers the same thing. Um, and that's where we mix the sustainability angle of our project with, act with actual business drivers uh, on improving that sustainability can actually be a business driver and not a cost center. Uh, because one of the issues that it's at the forefront right now on every single newscast, it's the cost of power and power consumption. And it's becoming a real issue all across the globe. It's not only Europe, it's all across the globe. But in Europe in particular, data centers and power have always gone at odds. You can see what's happening in London with new uh, home development sites being prevented, uh, being postponed up to 2035 because there's no power to supply them. So that idea that data centers need to be close to metro areas will find more and more resistance from local authorities and even um, the local communities. So 
Sinus sits at one of the most interesting power nodes of the country, which is connected directly into the European 400 kV uh, grid. You have a tremendous, uh, you have tremendous paths to get the power there, but you also have the ability to develop our own renewables that that are delivered directly to our data center, thus pushing costs down tremendously. And there's uh, one ambiguity uh, on Sinus, which we like a lot, which is it's a high solar resource uh, area, but it's not too warm. It's actually pretty mild. Uh, so that's, that has a very good equilibrium, getting the solar there and not heating up too much. And then we actually have also the, um, uh, the value advantage that we can use ocean cooling. Um, we have two options of ocean cooling, which are tremendous and will push us to PUE levels, uh, probably not seen in Europe yet. Um, because we the Atlantic is a tremendous heat sink. It's a very, very big heat sink. Um, yes, you can go to the beach and probably during August, uh, the, fi the first five meters, the water will be, well, not warm, but not so cold. But you go below there and the temperature is amazingly stable all year round. So that's our main source. As a second source, we have the wastewater of an LNG facility, which is six to 10 degrees lower than the actual uh, water that we get from the ocean. So that's uh, a very, very nice and, um, and circular economy type of cooling which allow us to boast uh, really low PUEs. Yeah, and I think, and you've touched on it a few, a few times about closer to the eyeballs, which you're correct is a phrase that we hear all the time. But really, I guess what we're also seeing is um, the movement away from regulated, power-hungry sort of regions with poor sustainability options to the more sustainably friendly, you know, availability of power, you know, the areas where, I guess they tick all the boxes for building a data center rather than the areas where we've already got saturated markets. Exactly. But, but you, know, you, you can never forget, you can never forget who your end users are. And I mean, we're getting, yes, it's true that there's a, there's lack of, of digital, of digital infrastructure capacity, but it's digital, digital infrastructure capacity at a certain level of performance and a certain level, and that's being able to deliver really low TCOs. You always need to bear in mind how the TCO for your final client, uh, what the TCO of your final client looks like. And that means that unless you are proactive on managing that TCO as well, your only other driver is to lower your, your lease price. So, um, you know what's you know what's biting their 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 profit margins. You know where they're going to uh, where they're going to tackle it. So unless you are part of the solution, you're you're dealt with a hand which is very hard to play. Yeah, definitely, and obviously, and with Stark Campus as well, kind of, oh, and Sinus. If we go back a bit, what do you want to just explain exactly what the campus is because. As I say, a lot of yeah, people of talk, a lot of people are talking about it in Europe, but I don't know if they, you know, everybody knows exactly what it is. So, do you just want to give a bit of detail on exactly yeah, of what the project? So, the project is um, 
uh, a campus, a very large campus, uh, up to 495 megawatts of power delivered to the servers. These will be spread through nine buildings. Um, our initial building, it's a 15 megawatt um, uh, building, much smaller than the rest. Uh, reason being, this is being, um, this is the arrangement that we get, we got from the environmental agency. They, they'd ask us, you have certain thresholds you cannot surpass. And 15 megawatts is the magic number. Uh, apart, uh, above, you have a simplified uh, environmental license for that building, but you will need full environmental studies and analysis for the rest, which we are performing. Um, but it just means that the rest of the buildings take a little bit longer to, to be delivered. Um, we have very high sustainability targets, uh, and that implies tackling the, all the letters of the ESG. It's not just, it's not, it's not just, um, um, cheap energy and uh, green energy. Um, uh, we're focusing on getting a hundred percent green energy and this is a very big boast. I know that. I come from the power side, so I know very well what that what that means. Um, with the with most of that power being negotiated directly with the producers, so and bringing that power into our campus directly from the producers. Of course, there there are some balancing uh, that needs to be done, and we're good at it. Um, and I'm not going to spill the beans on what the secret sauce is. But we can guarantee the 100% green uh, energy, uh, which is which is a novelty. And actually, it's one of the points that everyone asks us: How are you going to do it? Um, the ocean water facilities um, are tremendous and part are part of the uh, circular economy story. So, as much as we can, we will repurpose existing industrial uh, industrial facilities. So the facilities that we're taking um, that we're taking on were uh, previous coal power plants, uh, ocean cooling facilities, which were going to be dismantled, and that avoids throwing all that concrete uh, into into the landfill. Um, and that's that, and that's that's a project in a nutshell. And it's in Portugal. Sorry, I didn't say that. It's in Portugal. It's in Sinas. Sinas is south south of Lisbon. Um, it's, is a hundred kilometers as the crow flies, uh, neighboring the longest beach, uh, in Europe, the 70 K beach, um, that goes, uh, all the way to Stuva. Um, very nice area to be. And how have the locals taken to the project? Cause one thing we see in the data center sector quite a lot is obviously the negative media that, you know, we all have to deal with on a sort of a daily basis, but how have the locals taken to, to you kind of coming up with this plan and, and this facility to help them as a community? Um, extremely well. I mean, they really liked us, but you need to bear in mind that we're, where an, an old coal power plant was, and this is a 1980s, uh, coal power plant, which is being dismantled and left a lot of people unemployed. Uh, uh, two months afterwards, we announced the big data center project there. For them, we're savior, uh, savior of, of the local. And everything that we bring on that doesn't pollute as much as a coal power plant for them is a plus. 
it's a real plus because alternatives that were being discussed for that site, they didn't like it either. And this provides jobs. Um, and the, I know that the jobs discussion is always pretty alive in the data center community. But um, for an industrial point of view, the number of jobs is comparable. It is comparable. Um, it provides jobs. It provides a new uh, economic life to to that uh, to that town. So we're being received by all the local communities very, with with open arms. And I'll tell you an anecdote, which is quite easy, which is quite nice. Which when we applied, uh, we have what is called a project of national interest status, which means um, that we have to apply to it. And then the government gives us that, st uh, that status and it helps us have all the dis licensing discussions with the decision makers themselves instead of having to go through, uh, through the entire chain. Um, it does create additional um, eyes on the project. So the scrutiny is much, much higher, but the decision making is it's, it's faster. But the first community, the local community which applauded our, um, uh, our project you're going to laugh about it, was a surfing community. So the surfers were really, really happy because it's, they said, okay, someone's actually reusing the, the cold water facilities. It means that we'll, we could be surfing on, on warm waters again. So let's all, we're all up for it. Let's, let's break it up. There you go. Data centers are, are useful for surfers as well. So that's a, <laughs> another, another selling point for the sector. But I think, I guess it goes back full cycle to the point you made at the beginning, though, about using these decommissioned facilities, doesn't it? You know, like, you know, if we're not going into a greenfield site and we are going into somewhere, you know, a brownfield site, somewhere that's developed already and we're repurposing it, we can actually be seen to do a good thing for the community rather than turning up into a, a new area and taking power, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, and, and to, that, to that point, um, and perhaps I'm going uh, a little bit ahead of myself as well because it was a, one of your questions. When, when we say sustainability, we mean the whole thing. It's, it's trying to reach carbon neutrality, it's green power, but it's also about the communities. How do we, we develop the communities uh, around us? And we have a couple of programs going, going on. Um, we do have an amazing team that has come from all the, all, all the who's who of the data center industry, uh, which brought a lot of fresh ideas uh, uh, into the site. And on the community side, we're helping develop um, uh, an excellence, excellency center there with uh, training courses, which are equivalent to college. Uh, and we're working with several um, uh, EU universities to have a teacher's teacher uh, program to develop the talent there um, and have a lot of initiatives going on to develop the data center, um, the data center talent pool. Because we understand that's one of that's there's a big constraint. We're actually we're very lucky because people are passionate about our projects, so a lot of uh, it's easy to hire. But we know that it's perhaps it's also because it's novelty, and we'll need to have we'll need to contribute to the development of the entire of the entire talent pool. That's from one side, and then for the rest of the community, we're actually developing uh, um, some programs where we're sponsoring community-led project projects 
we're creating a platform where projects that the community is is fond of on on education on green energy uh, um, on on digital any any projects on that area we will be helping them and we're developing a very specific program taking lessons from best practices um, both from the Nordics and the UK into the region and that's a pretty big novelty um, and it helps people be comfortable and wanting uh, and wanting to to go to to support our project uh, excellent and I think with the talent Paul because you know, my day job is is recruitment in the data center sector and I think what what projects like yourselves do as well is you give it gives the opportunity for those Portuguese engineers or, or whatever they might be to come back to Portugal because you have that exodus of talent to where the work is and and you know and another one of my questions was going to be around obviously Portugal coming as an as a new emerging market but you've you've actually got a talent pool that's been working in in Europe that now has the opportunity to come back to Portugal yeah ex- exactly my first hire my first big data center hire was a uh, former facility manager for Google data centers in the Nordics, uh, a Portuguese whose grandparents actually have a house very nearby to where the site is. So he was really looking forward to come back. Um, and, uh, and, and that's just the, the first story of many uh, people who, who did come back and are very, very very uh, talented uh, and are helping push the project forward. Now, I also, we, we cannot be blind where, uh, how the new, on, on the new trends on talent. And if you look for um, graduates from, from, uh, from all over the place, they're not looking for jobs for life anymore. They're looking for experiences. So the, you need, instead of looking at as a problem, you need to look at it as an opportunity. So you know you're going to hire them. You know that they will stay with you one year to two years and then they'll leave for other pastors or someone will take them away from you. So you need to keep, to keep that talent pool going because otherwise you'll, you'll find yourself in a position where you, can, you can't attract any, any talent anymore. So by, by fostering that, that talent ecosystem as well, we actually can push um, the development of a much wider project. I totally agree with that point. And on Portugal, just finally, and Southern Europe, really, because what we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months is quite an increase in investment into that region from a data center perspective. Why do you think it is that we're now seeing more development in Portugal, Spain, and, and that specific geography? There are many reasons. Um, some of them uh, have been lingering a lot uh, for for more time than others. But there's there's a risk of overexposure uh, in the north part of Europe, uh, and as we see global warming risks uh, with deep freeze events happening uh, more often and uh, storms hitting um, hitting across the globe uh, more often, the need for resilience across the globe is ever more more needed. And the Russian war has only pushed that uh, even even more to the forefront. So that diversity of of location needs to happen anyway. 
Um, you add to that that Africa is going to be connected, extremely well connected with uh, the new sub, uh, subsea cable system which are being developed. Um, and Africa is has the biggest potential of digital consumption uh, across the globe. So you have those two in line and actually Iberia comes as one of the best locations to serve those markets. Port, okay. Portugal, yeah, exactly. In Portugal in particular, you have the cable to, to Latin, you have two cables to Africa, you have new cables which are being discussed to connect directly to Ireland. There's another cable being discussed to connect to, connect to the UK. And these are all new systems. So with a lot of uh, with a lot of, of capacity. There are talks already of a potential cable from Lisbon to the US. You have the Medusa, which links through the Mediterranean. And all of a sudden, you have this star of connectivity uh, with a data center, which meets all the possible future requirements um, for, for, for our clients want to be. Exactly. And, and, and what I was going to say as well is you see the growth regions, Africa, Latin, kind of like they're, they're where you're seeing that like you say the future growth the potential is and obviously the link to there you know the connectivity needs to get there before the sector really grows in those regions so we're kind of at exactly. that point now yeah exactly so really enjoyed that conversation before we close up there's just a couple of questions that i i was i ask everyone on the podcast but next 12 months do you have any big predictions for the data center sector over the next say 12 to 18 months I think we are on a very on interesting times. So you have from one side some very uh, some still strong um, need for capacity, but on the other side you have extremely strong headwinds against it. You have tremendously expensive power. Uh, you have geopolitical risks, uh, and you have rising interest rates. So I do think there will be a reckoning uh, on the sector. Uh, which will probably lead towards the end of this 12 to 18 months to consolidation across the sector uh, as some operators who were just playing the yield game will find themselves on a hard, on a tough spot. Um, and only the ones who focus on, TS, on TCO can actually, um, will actually stay, uh, stay, stay healthy. Um, so that's on the, on the data center industry. And, and again, volatile volatile times also pro- provide tremendous um, tremendous opportunities for those who 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 look into the trends. Yeah, and a, and a few people have said that recently as well. So I think we can definitely say that this is the way the market is looking over the next few years for sure. And finally, before we close up, one question I ask everyone on the podcast: If you could give one piece of advice to anyone looking to start a career in the data center sector, what would it be? Be passionate. Be passionate about it. I mean, you'd be working at at the core, uh, uh, at the the heartbeat of of the next thirty to forty years of the economy, and be one of the most uh, the the people responsible for everything that's going on in the world right now. So be passionate about it. Good advice, and I totally agree. I think, you know, if you do something you enjoy, you never work a day in your life, I think is, is the saying, isn't it? So, yeah, if you're passionate about it and you really want to make a difference, then you'll definitely 
develop a much more successful career than if you're working in something that you don't really want to be in. Exactly. Thanks, Afonso. I really enjoyed that discussion. An amazing project. You know, I know it's, it's early days and I'm sure we'll see a lot more of you in, in your project over the coming years, but thanks for taking the time to speak to us today. And, and I'm sure you're happy if anyone's got any questions or wants to learn more to, for people to reach out to you. Of course, of course. Feel free. Thanks very much. Thank Thanks you very much, time. Andy. No problem. We'll speak again soon.